cooperative game uh, which is on kickstarter right now and you can go check it out uh dennis how are you doing i'm doing well it is it is morning on my side of the globe but uh it has just been a thrilling couple of weeks here uh, i say couple of weeks it's been it's been like a week and two days or something it's felt like a month the kickstarter has been live but um yeah i'm, I'm happy to take some time out get to know you and, and hang out a bit yeah i'm super happy to talk to you because the the Kickstarter looks right up my alley. It's it's uh, yay! I, I've been playing a ton of solo games and it looks really awesome. Uh, could you tell me about uh, the game, like a quick pitch? Absolutely. Um, it's so funny because when I started working on Deck of Wonders, it was obviously well before the pandemic and and COVID and all that stuff. Uh, and and you know you, you don't wish this on anyone. But certainly having a solo game in this time, it's spoken to people in a way that I, I don't know if it would have uh, otherwise. Um, but yeah, so the story of the game is that you have stolen the deck of wonders from fate herself. And you can think of fate as the deity that rules the world of the game. And the deck of wonders is her treasured magical possession. So it's a, an incredibly powerful artifact that has all of her power and potential and, and is kind of her tool for shaping the world. Um, and you've stolen it from fate, you rascal. Uh, so so uh, she's understandably furious with you. She's trying to get it back and she's sending all of her followers after you to reclaim it. Um, not only that, but there are darker forces in this world who see an opportunity to swoop in and take the deck for themselves. So um, it's, a, it's a little bit of like a one ring situation going on where uh, you've taken something without really realizing how powerful it is. And now everybody wants a piece of you and you're just trying to survive and kind of get to the next next uh, phase. So that's that's the convention of the game story wise. Um, it plays like a Hearthstone or like a Magic the Gathering. It's kind of got a CCG format um to it although obviously it runs solo this is a, a one player versus the rules game um so instead of another player on the other side there will be a villain that you choose at the start of the game um every villain sets special rules uh has special powers and has special legacy packs that you can unlock so this game evolves as you play it um and then the final thing is that they every villain has some special cards that you have to use in your deck if you are facing that villain um, and then that that's probably the biggest hook of Deck of Wonders is both you and your opponent draw from the same deck of cards. Uh, and every card is double ended. So there's there's a you know a top half that you use if you draw the card, there's a bottom half that you use if the villain draws the card. But as you're deck building, every card you put in is a choice for both you and the villain. You have to kind of balance and build accordingly. Uh, and that's Deck of Wonders. What really gets me in the game is uh, like what you said uh, as a legacy element, which it, it's more mm -hmm. of a, a campaign though, isn't it? Because you're not, you, you can replay it. Yeah. So I think, I think if I could go back and, and kind of rebrand as it were, I would have, I would have said uh, campaign probably instead of legacy there, there is, you, you will have opportunities to upgrade cards. Mm -hmm. um, and so you'll, you'll place a sticker on certain cards um that you want to be a little bit more powerful 
Uh, however, there will be a way to do that without stickering the cards because what I learned very quickly is people don't like messing with cards you know mm. people people want to keep it pristine they don't want a sticker they don't want to tear anything up uh, which there's certainly none of that in the game um, and while it tells a discrete story i think the fun of the game like any ccg is in kind of experimenting with different builds and strategies overall so uh i i think you know legacy is what i've used to describe it in the past um, campaign probably does a better job articulating that you won't be destroying the game as you play it. Mm -hmm. um, but campaign also implies one time through it, whereas Deck of Wonders evolves as you play and, and will continue to be playable and present interesting challenges even well after you're done with the story portion. Yeah, but I think w what you've done is you have like the, the best aspects of uh, legacy games, which is, <laughs> I, I think... Uh, you know, unlocking that new content and um, you, feeling that progression throughout the game. Uh, whilst like yeah. I have a pandemic legacy on my uh, shelf, and it's it just breaks your heart when you're <laughs> destroying parts of the game. And I I I think uh, yeah. it, it's it's really awesome that uh, you you both use like storyline in the game, like the the individual cards themselves, and uh, you have this way of progressing through the game and uh having those uh choices of how you, how you want the game to kind of continue from at least at least from what i saw from the demo yeah uh, thank you so much someone someone the other day told me they're like dude it's not a legacy game you have 10 mini expansions i was like <laughs> man i should i should have said that that sounds cool <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it is also, you know, in that CCG format, uh, collectible card game format, um, it is very expandable and it will be easy if this is successful enough. I'm, I'm so in the habit of doing these interviews before the Kickstarter has launched. And so I'll be like, if it's successful, it's been successful. So, you know, I expect expansions will happen at some point. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll be able to add on to the story, add on new mechanics and everything through uh, expansions as we go as well. So um there's there's a lot in the base deck of wonders it's going to be evolving for a long time before you've seen everything and like i said even then i think it's a ton of fun to to go through challenge decks and you know weird off meta builds and everything like that um and then uh, I, sh I should be able to offer um expansions to go along with the game yeah there's there's lots of customization already just uh like when you read through the rules you have several different variants of how to build a deck how, how many cards are actually in the base game? Uh, yeah, there will be over 200 cards in the base game. All right. And how long have you been working and, on the, uh, the game? Good question. Uh, in earnest since July, no, June 2019. So a little over a year at this point. When, when you started out with the idea, what was your like core inspiration or how did you... Uh, how did you decide you want to make a game in the first place? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you might hear my core inspiration screaming in the background at some point during this interview. <laughs> I'm, I'm a parent of young kids. Um, I, I have a four and a six-year-old, and then we have we have one on the way in December, which is super exciting. Um, but that means uh, you know my life is is super busy uh, and hard to plan. And that, that's not a that's not a problem for parents. That's a problem for adults, right? You don't need kids to have your life be chaotic and. Uh, have it be hard to schedule with friends. Um, but I also love complex, thinky games. The the more, the bigger the rule book, the better is my policy. I love reading rule books and, um, you know, can, can lose a ton of time to games like Mansions of Madness or um, XCOM, the board game, or, or, you know, any of those games that are just super dense. 
but it can be hard to coordinate the eight hours and six friends and two tables worth of space that it takes to actually uh, play those games. So uh, Deck of Wonders was was my attempt, um, combined with, you know, really loving CCGs as well, my attempt to create that kind of deep strategic experience just in a format that that, you know, you can enjoy on your own terms. That you, if you've got 15 minutes between classes, if you, if your kids are down for a nap, uh, that's my story, right? If, uh, if you're on lunch break, you should be able to get out Deck of Wonders, feel like you had a really interesting, deep experience, um, feel like you progressed in a larger story, but also, you know, not have to coordinate with friends, also be able to put it away when you're done with it and kind of have, have this little bit of wonder. It's a little cheesy, I know, but you have this little bit of wonder in your, in your pocket for you. Um, whenever uh, you uh, you kind of feel like playing it, <laughs> there, there there goes your inspiration. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How long do you think it 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 took you to get that that core of the game? And when did you know you want to push it out to to Kickstarter? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I, I had the idea for the game in June 2019. We went on a vacation in early July as a family, um, you know, in a cabin up in, in Michigan, um, which is north of us. And I literally, I had a deck of playing cards and spent the entire time just like prototyping and play testing and messing around. Um, and nobody in my family knew what the hell I was doing. <laughs> You know, like we were with extended families. So my brothers and sisters are like, well, Dennis is in his corner again. But I, I was really excited about the way um, the idea of a double ended card uh, could could open up new options for play and, and have interesting deck building choices. So, I, you know, I, I was excited about that. I developed it to the point that I actually had a prototype um, and it was it was kind of the prototype that's on um, Tabletop Simulator right now. Uh, it was just uh, even more simple. There was no art. It was literally boxes that I made in PowerPoint <laughs> printed out at a business card manufacturer. Um, but Gen Con was around the corner and I was going to be at Gen Con regardless. And I, I kind of had this moment with myself where it's like, all right, if you believe you're onto something and you're going to be at Gen Con, it is, it is criminal not to find a way to demo this. So I took these artless prototypes, um, used in every sense of the word, artless prototypes, uh, and and went. I, I didn't have time to be like an exhibitor at Gen Con, but I went to the Starbucks across the street from Gen Con um, and posted up there, and just had a sign up that was like, "If you know, if you like Hearthstone or Magic: The Gathering, I need your feedback." Um, and it wound up being amazing because everybody was, you know, the Starbucks was slammed. Everybody was waiting 20 minutes for their coffee and had nothing better to do than to talk to me about my game. <laughs> so here I am with the best seat in the house at Gen Con, not even technically attending the con. Um, and I, I, you know, offered up for sale um, these these prototypes for $10, um, which is, again, it was, it was what you played in Tabletop Simulator, just without any art and way less refined. And people, I, I think I sold 14 over the course of two days. So people, people were intrigued, um, collected a whole bunch of email addresses. And that's the point where I was like, okay, this feels very real. I have transactional learning saying that there is something unique here that people are willing to pay for. Um, and, and I have to do this. Like this, this means I have to go to Kickstarter. I'm, I'm committed. 
Um, and from then on out, it was kind of uh, going to Kickstarter was in my crosshairs. I would pull that out, by the way, for, for any designers listening or, or people who have aspirations of, of making a game. Um, I would put a really high priority on some kind of transactional learning up front. Um, that doesn't have to be selling your game. You know, that was right for me. That might not be right for you. It's it's totally a case-by-case -case basis. But asking someone to sign up for an email list or, you know, follow you on Twitter. I don't, I don't know what it is, but have some exchange of value that you're asking for. Um, and that will get you past the people just being nice really quickly. Uh, it's super, super valuable. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And when was Gen Con last year? What month that was, was August, the beginning of August. August. So you had like two months to, to work on the the prototype before Gen Con. Yeah, I printed I, I printed it literally the night before, which was fun. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I had found the manufacturer and then like spent two crazy days getting it finished and then printed it. Um, and then the next morning, you know, headed out to Indianapolis. Yeah, so it, it's so important to get your game out there in the even in the like beginning stages to see other people's feedback, and it's it's something that I I, I really liked I, when I talked to Joe Slack. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, him. oh, he's also making a, a solo yeah. game. Yeah, Relics Yo, of Rajavahara. Yeah, that's amazing right. Game, amazing person. That's right. And what what he said was, uh, games are are made by a community, not by uh, j just one one designer, and that and that's because. You always mm -hmm. need to to play test, and you always need to see what what people. It, it's just such an important step of it. It's so much more difficult to do um, by yourself. So I think it's it's really important that you mentioned that, and that you mentioned that transaction, making sure that people aren't just being nice. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, because because then you're you're just fooling yeah, no, yourself. No matter and, how smart you are. Yeah, no matter how smart you are or how amazing you are at design, and, and there's some people that out there that are amazing at design, um, you just you reach a point where you're too close to your own game, and you, you've you've seen everything you're going to see about it. The only way you're going to see new things is to share the game with new people, um, and and so I yeah I absolutely believe it is a community effort, um, and I mean you know this this interview is evidence of it. The the game design community is so incredibly um, close and welcoming. And, you know, I stepped in day one, having no right to be there. This is my first Kickstarter. This is my first game really. Uh, and, and everyone was here for it and everybody was interested to chat and give advice and really, you know, help people up in the community, um, which is, which is super cool. Yeah. It's awesome. It's, it's super important, um, to have that. What's your, what do you do outside mm -hmm. of, uh, game design? And what made you want to do the whole uh, design thing? Uh, were you playing board games? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I, I go way back um, to childhood with board games. And my brothers and I would play Stratego against each other. It was our favorite. Um, which is, I think it falls in the classic board game set. It's, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's one of those games. It's as close as you can get to a modern board game without actually being a modern board game. Um, but that was just really fun. Uh, and we, we always, you know, would do that classic success and, and just always had something going. Um, I am very into video games as well. Um, I co-host a video game podcast called the level and just in general play a lot. Uh, my wife and I actually, we, we play a lot of games together, uh, and that extended over very naturally into board games as an adult. Um, and so our, our shelves are filled with two player games. 
Um, so you name it, you know, Hive, Star Realms, Codenames Duet, um, Forbidden Island, you can play with more, but you know, just, just any, any game like that, um, we've got, that's our, you know, our date nights, our way to have fun. Um, and I did a ton of that. Uh, the, the deeper, more complex games, I've got a couple of gaming groups that, uh, I'm, I'm close with and it's always, you know, we're always trying something new and we probably spend more time arguing over rules than we do playing the game, but that's the fun of it, you know? <laughs> and, um, so I've done a ton of, of game playing and always, always with that thought of like, oh, that mechanic was really interesting. And you, you, you kind of sit around and talk about what could be better about the game after you finished with it uh, or you make a house rule because you think it would be more interesting or set a challenge for yourself. And the thing that I didn't realize and that I would encourage anyone else is like, if you're doing that sort of thing, making house rules, discussing game mechanics, um, you're, you're 90% of the way there. Like that is the exact same thinking that goes into board game design uh, proper. Uh, and I think a lot of people have that vocabulary without even realizing how, how, close that is to to what you're actually doing in the ring as it were um so by day i'm i'm in consulting did innovation consulting for a while do a lot of freelance stuff now um uh and you know marketing is my background uh and then like i said i also i also did the video games podcast so um a lot you know the business strategy side i almost geek out about as much as the game design side yeah, it's it's it's, it's uh, great that you mentioned the house <clears throat> ma- making house rules uh, mm. because I think that's that that's one way that you you can that you're designing games without even knowing it. Like one one thing that we do, yeah, is uh, whenever we play a new game, someone of course reads through the rules, explains the game, but then you know inevitably we get those moments where we're unsure of a rule. We almost never check the rule until the end of the game. <laughs> until, no, I mean, I mean, until until we're finished, we decide. Yeah, yeah. What do we think is best for the game? How should we play this rule? Th- then we 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 decide how to do that. We do that, and then at the end of the game, we're like, did is that the choice that they made too? You know, did we check if if uh... that's that's really cool. <laughs> I like that a lot. I like that a lot, and it's 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 harder to do when it's like a three hour game, right? Because it's like okay. We, we discovered this rule question in the first 15 minutes. Do we want to invest our night on potentially being wrong? Um, but especially for a game like Deck of Wonders, where it's a 15 minute play, um, you know, you, you're afforded some of that fun or, you know, you're like, all right, this is a stupid build and it's never going to work, but maybe it will. Let's try it. Uh, and when, when your game uh, plays out in kind of a tight loop time-wise, um, you, you open up a lot of potential for experimentation um, and design, uh, game design thinking in, in people who are playing. Mm-hmm. How did you uh, find an artist for your game? Uh, and how was that whole pro- what was that whole process like? Yeah, I, I, I am the wrong person to ask about it because my story finding an artist was um, almost too serendipitous. I was it, it was all the way back at Gen Con. Uh, where I debuted the game and I took some time towards the end to just wander around artist alley, Um, which if you ever go to a board game convention, find the section with artists uh, and and just wander around it. Cause it's, it's the coolest thing ever. There's, you know, it's not just game design at these things. It's, it's a whole uh, community around the art. That's so cool. And uh, I, I kind of had an idea of what I wanted stylistically for the game, 
but didn't have the vocabulary to articulate what that was. Um, which was a lot of me then kind of walking up to artists and, and fumbling around with my words and not making any sense um, and, and kind of getting nowhere. Uh, and I, I found Lauren Brown's booth. Lauren Brown is the, the illustrator for Deck of Wonders um, and was immediately like, this is, this is the thing that I want. Like, I don't, I don't need any vocabulary to describe to you what I'm looking for because it's just like, what you do is what I want. <laughs> And it was that perfect and that accidental that I just kind of wandered into her booth. Um, and, you know, the sky, the skies opened, angels sang. It was, you know, the perfect, the perfect match. Um, and she was super, super um, friendly, super communicative. Uh, and certainly since Lauren has her just vision and ownership for the visual side of this game is amazing. Uh, and she always finds cool ways to to bring things to the next level. But in terms of finding her, I just lucked into it. <laughs> I completely lucked into it. Um, a tip that she gave me um, and that I would pass along is if you, you know, if you if you don't just collide with your with your perfect artist, um, find some artists that you kind of like their work stylistically, whether or not they do board games, whether or not um, you know they're in your range for what you're looking for. Just find some people that you like their work. And then go look at who they follow in social media. And by just kind of finding their followers and then finding the followers' followers, um, you can you can see this web of other artists uh, and get a whole bunch of cool direction and find really cool people um, that you you know you can't really turn up just by Google searching. And you didn't even use any like placeholder art before um, for your first prototypes or, or before you talked to Lauren. That's right. So when I talked to Lauren, um, it was it was no art whatsoever. Now there was an in between step where, uh, I mean, the, the art for the game is expensive, and Lauren's work is amazing and, and commands the price that it does. Um, but I, for the next kind of round of the prototype, I wanted to have some kind of art. Um, so I actually I, I worked with my sister in law Elsa Furia, um, and and she put together a bunch of thumbnail sketches for me. Um, she is, she's a painter, like that's her main medium. And so her doing like line art and everything like that was way outside her comfort zone. Um, but she was amazing. And I actually still have several copies of that V2 prototype, um, with her art on it. So there is, there is that version out there. Uh, and then, uh, as kind of a, a stair step to the full art version. Yeah. And I think it's, it's so important and awesome and something that shouldn't be overlooked is the step that you went to Gen Con and you used that as uh, finding playtesters, ma- making sure your game's all right, finding artists. And I think it's it's super important to mm-hmm. find those places where you can show you, show off your game um, even early on. What we what we did with our, our first games is we went to all the prototypes co- contests we could, and because we weren't in the community oh cool at yeah. All, and I think that's another great thing that people can do when when they have a a game idea. Well, the, the first thing they can do is probably make that prototype, but then uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, have something to show. But yeah, yeah, uh, show it off. What would your advice be to people who I I always ask this question to all designers uh, to people who want to make sure. games or have some idea but haven't gone through the the whole process. Yeah, um, I I think my advice would be expect to iterate, um, expect to just have version after version after version. Uh, if I look at the version of the the 
game I'm on for Deck of Wonders in terms of every time I've tweaked a rule or changed a card, etc. I think I'm up in the 40s at this point of of changes, um, easily in the 40s, and that kind of iteration and experimentation is so essential. Uh, and it goes back a little bit to the whole, you know, demo your prototype, get transactional learning if you can, but your ideas always seem better and more complete in your head than they do on paper. Um, and it's just, it's just the way the human mind works. Um, but we're also weirdly wired to feel like we are, we failed in some way. If the first time we move the idea from our head to paper, it's not perfect. And it's such a crazy thing. And it's so wrong. you know. Uh, and in fact, the only way you get better after a point is, is to do that prototyping and see in practice how an idea is wrong or how an idea could be better. Um, because it just, it, you know, it looks, it looks too perfect in your mind. It needs to be on paper. Um, and so I've done, I've done things where like, I'll, I'll introduce a new card that I'm working on to the game, knowing that it's broken and knowing that it's going to wreck the game and be completely unbalanced. Um, but I won't, I know that it's broken. I won't know how to fix it until I've played with it. And so I go through a couple excruciating games where I'm just getting wrecked by this card or completely stomping the villain because of this card. Uh, and then it's like, oh, okay. I thought it was overpowered because of X, but really it's overpowered because of Y. And if I, if I tamp that down a little bit, I don't have to mess with X, which is actually the fun part of the card. Um, I just, I just need to, you know, tweak it in that way. And you just literally, you can't see that unless you, uh, put it on paper, make some kind of prototype and, and play with a broken game a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's so important. Um, <laughs> again, what you said about the fact that we usually tend to criticize ourselves when, when it doesn't work out the first time. But I think <laughs> a, a lot of that has to do with uh, comparing your game to finished games. And mm -hmm. also uh, what you said about the game in your mind working out, like, I know, and I, I've talked to a lot of designers, and almost every time, uh, every time I talk to designers, they talk about um, playing through the games in your head, like imagining how the game would play. And uh, some designers actually go through that phase for like months before they uh, they go into prototyping, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. which is totally not the way that <laughs> that I, I I prefer to do it. But I I feel like w when you're doing it in your head, you're like it should work. You, you think that it should work and you, there's yeah, yeah. A, a lot of things that you do miss. And, and you, uh, the, the good part of it, though, is that there's a lot of other things that you can anticipate um, before you actually get it on paper. Because if you go straight to um, brainstorming on paper, then there's I, I feel like there's more of a chance that you'd miss um, some stuff. But yeah, I, I, either way, I, th I think you shouldn't feel disappointment. Yeah is one thing that that you should what what you should learn is just um be okay with having a a game that isn't finished <laughs> uh, you know? oh yeah oh yeah it's it's interesting uh, yeah because you once you get through that like it's almost exciting to see every time you you play test like okay how is this going to be broken or how do things go not the way i expect um you mentioned you know playing things through in your head and i think i think one piece that is important to have very clearly articulated uh, in your mind, um, and even potentially on paper, is is kind of the the type of experience you want to create. Um, and so I, I put a link in, and you can share this in the show notes if you want. 
to a tool that I've used. It's it's from the marketing world, so this is out of my business background, um, called an equity pyramid. And you know, this is basically it's a it's a tool that helps you articulate what you want the experience to feel like to the player, kind of where what what are you offering in terms of the feel? Because people, you know, I, sometimes people buy games because there's an interesting hook or mechanic. And certainly, you know, a game like poker doesn't need any theme like the, you know, or anything like that. Um, but more often than not, there's an intersection of mechanics and theme going on that creates an experience for the player. Um, and I think having, having a very clear vision um, in your mind, and again, potentially art articulated on paper of this is the core fantasy of the game. The core fantasy of this game is that you are a starship pilot, you know, or, you know, it doesn't have to be theme dependent. The core fantasy of this game is tricking your opponents into hurting themselves, uh, that sort of thing. Knowing that will help guide your decision making as you're doing that iteration. So for Deck of Wonders, uh, for example, the core fantasy is outplaying an objectively more powerful opponent. Everything in the game is bent around that idea of fate favors the villains, right? She she wants them to win. Literally, like the you know the cosmos is against you here, um, and so all, all the rules and mechanics feel like um, the villain is getting all these advantages that you don't. Um, and the game you know the game plays like you're you're almost on defense on your back foot, scrambling for answers the entire game. Um, and that's very intentional because it serves this this uh, core fantasy or this story that you are the underdog. You are, you know, you're only in this because you are you are so clever um, and and outplaying these people that by rights should win. Um, and that's you know that's my favorite feeling in games is when I feel like I steal a win that I should have lost. Um, and I think I think that's you know having that in my mind as I'm playtesting and balancing and, and designing is very empowering. Yeah, uh, another great point, and and it's it's something that I haven't thought about that much actually is how, uh, how you should have that core feeling maybe that you're you're chasing, mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. you want to make sure that base your decisions on what what you're do, doing in the game on what that is, uh, you know whether it's uh, you want it to be a really good a really good bluffing game or if you want it to, um, create those like like party uh, party game having those player interactions and having those mm -hmm. uh th those moments you know fi find those moments that that you love and that you want to be in the game and just try and make them and when you think of it in terms of those moments or those experiences it gives you so much more freedom to um adjust your mechanics the way they need to be adjusted mm -hmm. um because i i think you know a designer can easily get attached to a, a mechanical piece of their game or like that that idea that started them down the path um and but because they're married to that instead of the experience they're trying to create ultimately that thing gets in the way of the experience that the designer wants to give the player but because they have articulated a mechanic instead of an experience um it's it's harder to see when those mechanics need to change yeah with the game, did you start off uh, mechanics first, or I, I'm sure that you've been asked that this question before? But did you start with mechanics first or theme first? Did you know that you want to make a, a collectible card game for one player, or did you know that you want to have mechanics that are you know like Magic the Gathering or a, a theme that's yeah. fantasy and stuff like that? 
it's it's really funny so no i I actually haven't talked about that much uh before so it's a good question um i think it was a mechanics first idea in terms of you know I, i had been commiserating with some friends we were playing through gloomhaven and loving it but it was so hard to get everyone together and it takes so long to set up um and and all that stuff so we were also talking about the potential that that has as a solo game. Like if you really leaned into just a one player playing, what are all the cool things you could do? So I woke up with the idea in my head the next morning of a card game with the format that like, you know, you would draw and a card would be one thing to you and it would be a different thing for the villain. Um, and that, that kind of mechanical hook was the first thing in my mind. What's funny is I, it must have been a dream or something. The specific thought was a card that was a dragon on one side and the fireball that the dragon shoots on the other. And for whatever reason, that was what was in my head. Um, and that that specific card didn't make it into the game. But that kind of duality and the fact that it could be one thing to one person and another thing to another um, certainly did. And I think that the, the idea of duality um, and one thing being able to, you know, turn out different ways is what led me to the idea of fate. Uh, and then the whole story about like what this thing in your hands was kind of spiraled from there, but it really, it really started from that central point of, of wanting to have this cool um, CCG experience with just one player. Uh, any, anything else? I, I feel like we've uh, went over, over the game quite a bit. Anything else you want to, to share on the podcast, maybe about, um, other other games or what what you would like to see in the future from your like design journey yeah uh, I, i'm sure we'll do like kickstarter admin and everything at the, at the end um i think the the big thought i will have and, and you actually articulate it better than i ever could um which it, i guess in turn then joe slack articulated it better than i could have, could have um which is you know the game design is a community thing and every time i've opened up and invited feedback or or not been protective of deck of wonders as it is um and instead invited people to to get excited with me about deck of wonders as it could be um that has been an incredibly positive experience um and so just i think no matter how strong a vision for the game is inviting people into that vision and making people feel like they have a say in that vision or, or you know that they they belong in the community for that vision is invaluable. So, just having that collaborative mindset has has been essential, um, and has has taken the game to places that I I couldn't have imagined for myself, and are better than I could have imagined for myself. Yeah, I think it's so awesome that we're in a community that's w- where that works because. Uh, like I've been in lots of communities where there's so much competitiveness that you don't want, you actually don't want to be sharing your uh, like creative work and yeah, yeah, and, and, <laughs> it's and, weird. And the, like the first time I went into the board game community, I was expecting the same thing because I had never been in a community that's so um, inclusive and that where people want each other to succeed. And it's so awesome that that's. First of all, that, that that's the way the community is because it can easily have, have been the other way around um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, in this as well. But also, um, it's it's so awesome that that just spreads. And when, when people treat you that way and you see that that's the way things work in this community and you see that if somebody doesn't, um, you know, re- respect others or, you know, doesn't give good feedback or... 
um, you know, is isn't a, 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 being a good part of the community. Basically, um, you you see that you uh, those like positive interactions are welcomed, and it's something that spread so much. And now, after mm-hmm. after I've been because I've I've been doing uh, like board game design for the past two years or so, and mm-hmm. uh, after this, I've been using the the things I've learned from the because uh, I really feel like it's one of my favorite communities. Maybe my favorite community is the board game sure, community yeah. in general. And I feel like I, I'm able to now use that in other communities where I'm in, because if you're, if you're spreading that like positive feedback to people and showing them that their uh, cr- creativity is also important to you and, and that you want them to succeed as much as you want yourself to succeed. Uh, I, I found that super valuable and I'm, I'm just really happy uh, at oh, least yeah. from, from what I've experienced of, of this community is just extremely positive. Yes, indeed. I think it's time for like closing thoughts. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I can, I can plug the, so when this goes up, I think we'll be going into the final 72 or 48 hours of, of the deck of wonders Kickstarter. So um, it ends uh, at the end of the day, uh, Eastern time on September 17th. Um, so if you're listening to this now, um, it is, you know, those first three and last three days are such a critical window. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll put out the big plea of uh, go check out the check out the Kickstarter page. You probably will be able to be in that final rush of people. Um, and actually, because the initial rush was so strong, um, we are we were able to make the uh, full digital art book for the game, which has all of Lauren's work, uh, fifty plus pieces, dual sided pieces. I might add, um, that's all. That is all for free alongside the game because um, we funded in forty eight hours. Uh, in addition, uh, we we just yesterday, as of this recording, so a couple weeks ago, as of when people are listening to it, announced a um, a uh, a community art competition. Uh, and so we've done a ton of art for the game, but we've never shown the protagonist in the game. And that's because the protagonist is you, right? The protagonist is the player. We wanted anyone to feel like they belonged at the center of the story, that it was it was their world to shape. Um, but so we asked the community, like, hey, draw yourself or draw someone that you love as a protagonist in Deck of Wonders um, and and add that to the the kind of story of the game. Uh, and so you should be able to a browse that art and see all the the amazing people doing it, um, and b potentially if you're quick on the draw, uh, um, you know submit a piece yourself, and we'll be randomly drawing one of um, the entrants to win a free copy of the game. So a little a little doodle on your part, hey, a stick figure is fine, uh, could win you a free copy of Deck of Wonders. Um, and in general, like that, that community on Kickstarter and, and in the surrounding socials has been amazing. So check out the game and, and please, please um, uh, join the community. We love having you. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I love that idea of having the protagonist be, you know, unknown or because w- when you leave things to, to the imagination, I feel like it's it's, it's it, it, it can be yeah. cooler. Um, and that's such a, it's such a unique thing about board and card games as well that it's a medium that it is it is fine if you leave those spaces for someone to project themselves into whereas a movie or a book or or you know any any one of those other mediums you kind of need to fill in all the spaces you know if, if you don't say it then um it's it's not there 
whereas the in, in board games the medium is much more welcoming to the the hints of a story or the kind of the cool hooks that someone then grabs onto uh and that's that's been a lot of fun yeah i think i think it's a problem like even with with books if the author goes into over explaining things because uh, <laughs> if if you leave the people if you leave people to fill in the blanks with their imagination usually it's going to be uh they're, they're going to make it cool for themselves you know and, yeah oh absolutely and i really love that that whenever i see a game or something done really well in that sense where it lets you be creative it lets you sort of not not know everything you know being in this kind of more mysterious uh world it's so awesome like i immediately thought of this old rpg game called uh gothic i don't know if you played it but there okay the name sounds familiar yeah there they had a running joke the whole game and it's like i think it's three or four um parts where they had this running joke the main character was always they, they'd always cut off when they asked him his name <laughs> like, uh, like like he'd say hi my name is and they they would say oh your name doesn't matter let's go and do this uh, quest or whatever <laughs> and i thought that was so awesome like and uh but yeah that, that reminded me of that awesome thank you so much for uh for taking the time to talk to me uh and, yeah oh, this was a blast. thanks for having me yeah and i hope to get deck of wonders uh at some point soon <laughs> Woohoo! Yes, yes, please.